Welcome to the World Extreme Medicine podcast. My name's Will Duffin. Right now, many of us medics on the front line are practicing extreme medicine on our doorsteps. In response to this at WEM, we've reached out to our network of incredible humans from master divers, anesthetists, wingsuit pilots, nurses, mountaineers, to astronauts, to reveal what we can learn from their work that will both inspire us and help us. My guest today is Mark Visser. Mark is uh, an Australian professional big wave surfer, an ocean adventurer, author, keynote speaker. He's best known for being the first person to surf Jaws, that's Hawaii's most dangerous wave, at night. And he has been coaching uh, professional athletes, including Kelly Slater, He's been coaching football teams, the Navy SEALs, the SAS, a range of different uh, high, uh, high performing teams about training to overcome fear, about dealing with stressful situations, both in and out of the water. And his work is all about how humans process fear. Uh, Mark's joining us today from the uh, Sunshine Coast in in Queensland. How are you, Mark? <laughs> good, mate, good. Just thought I'd throw out my little disclaimer if you hear any noises in the background. It's um, I'm in the home office, <laughs> so <laughs> I was just laughing then. Going, oh, I hope this can, um, you can hear what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Mark, no worries. That is the world we're living, living in. Everyone's working at home. So, uh, yeah, I, I, you might hear my 10-month-old as well at some point. He'll chime in, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's a real pleasure to have you on the podcast. You're you're very welcome. Yeah, thanks thanks for having me. I'm so um, privileged to be here, and um, yeah, the the work that everyone's doing in that, like you said, in that front line is, um, you know, it just doesn't get credited enough. And I think um, it's a true honour to even be able to to say a word or two. You know, I'm truly humbled by everything that everyone does in this space, and um, it really makes you realise how important that kind of stuff is when when it's sort of laid out in a situation like the one that we're in right now yeah yeah and how are things um on the sunshine coast at the moment um it's it's definitely not as ex- uh, extreme as what's happening in other countries um uh, and and pro- possibly even in australia in general um the state is in lockdown so no one can uh, enter the borders and things like that and um, everyone's pretty um, good at sticking to the rules. Like there were people that were dismissing it and thinking, oh, it's just an old person's virus. And um, But they've just gotten stricter and stricter. And uh, I think that's sort of been the key is everyone's sort of just waking up and realising that it's not just going to go away. Like, you know, the longer people stuff around, the longer it's going to be around. So um, it definitely feels like um, people are getting the message. And I really feel like there's a lot of things you know, after this, that will be such awesome lessons learned, even in just general hygiene and, um, you know, so many things that people were just clueless about, um, which I think is awesome. And as as a surfer, how are you finding not being able to get in the ocean at the moment? Well, I'm lucky enough that I live very close to the ocean. So um, I think they're just restricting driving to other spots. So if yep. you can walk to your surf spot or, or whatever, um, you're okay. So I'm um, very fortunate in the sense that I can do that. But, um, yeah, I think oh, it'd be a hard pill for me to swallow. Like, I literally would yeah. be a fish out of water. That must be the last bastion for you. That's a real lifeline, being able to get in the sea still, I'm sure. 
And um, so what I'd like to do, Mark, is just talk a little bit about some of the, the work that you do uh, and how you what what kind of coaching you give to some of these teams that help them process fear that might help medics on the front line going in some really challenging and uncertain times. Uh, let's let's start first of all let, let's talk about some of your some of the stuff that you've done because it's it's really interesting let, let's talk about let's get back to 2011 and this was the this was a huge moment in your career as a big wave surfer when you when you took on Jaws tell me about about that well the truth of that story is um deep down I was afraid and I was trying to prove to myself that I wasn't um, that's the short answer to the whole process. Um, so if we were to jump back, um, you know, a fair few years when I was a kid, I nearly drowned uh, and I was born out in the countryside. So in the farmlands, you know, miles away from any ocean or beach. And, um, yeah, I nearly drowned at the age of three. I fell into a sheep's trough um, and uh, my brother pulled me out by my hair before I before I drowned but apparently I wouldn't go near a bath or wouldn't go near water for a, a really really long time and I didn't actually learn to swim properly till I was about 10 um, and I had a like a over energy or a real anxiety around um, not being in control when I was in the water or if anything got slightly um, you know uncomfortable I just really felt that and I never really knew what it was and um, it wasn't until I was older that you know, my parents kind of had reminded me of those experiences and I could really feel that feeling. So um, I started uh, competing as a normal surfer as I went on, but I was still very timid. Um, when I say normal surfer, I competed in normal small wave events and I didn't realise it at the time, but I was really challenging myself to want to surf bigger waves and what I, why I was doing that. And it's only now that I can see it was I was trying to prove to that in a child that um, I wasn't afraid and I didn't know that and I was literally just driving myself um, to the edge every single time um, and I really didn't know why and every time I was doing it I was absolutely um, terrified <laughs> you know I was so scared and, and I was like why do I keep coming back for this like what's you know and I never really knew I just knew that I, I had to I didn't know why you know and it was, just, it was quite odd um, and then that uh, particular project at, at um, in Maui um, over in Hawaii. It's a, the wave is um, called Piahi, or it's, it's known as Jaws. Um, that to me would have was the ultimate test to prove um, because I'd ridden all the best big wave spots all around the world. But I thought, well, that would be the ultimate test to prove to myself that I wasn't afraid. And it's quite silly that you would or any individual would have to go to that length to do that. And it wasn't until that actually happened that I could see how silly that was well ego driven that was <laughs> but it also allowed me to really understand how humans and how I process fear and then there was there was a process that was going on and so from that experience I could I really learned a lot and then I was able to to turn that around and help a lot of other people and there's an actual physical process that we go through not just an emotional process but they're linked they're very heavily closely linked and um, it's funny because in the courses and, and programs that we teach, like I work with um, business professionals, people that don't have anything to do with the water or sports, it's the exact same thing. If there's a situation where we're dealing with high stress, um, high fear, whatever that is, the process is exactly the same. And it's, um, it's funny when you mentioned um, to give advice to 
um, people in your field because our best coaches are paramedics. And the reason they're our best coaches is they have the best ability to stay calm in situations of chaos. When they rock up to a scene of something that would blow a normal person's mind, um, people in that field have the ability to remain calm. Um, and what that really does is changes the system within your body. We, you know, where there's the mind-body connection, what that's actually doing is a whole process. So, for example, if we have a fear or, or whatever that is, it, it creates an emotion which then affects our nervous system and then flows out through our body and then we react to that whole situation versus responding to it. Whereas I often find that um, our paramedic coaches would be the ones that respond to situations versus react to them. Uh, and that's something that we actually teach. And, um, yeah, so it, it's hard for me to say or, or try and give advice because I, I sort of salute people in this space to, at the highest regard because of their ability to do that. But, um, but it might even be as simple as pointing out the fact that, um, you know, there is a connection between the mind, body and soul and, and a process of how that actually unfolds. Um, that's something that I was extremely interested in and I spent a lot of time um, working with professionals from all around the world to understand that process, um, almost to the point where, you know, I was in Ubud in the forest working with someone um, consistently for about a year and a half um, and, that, and then there was individuals there that had worked for 15 years on one section of the brain you know, and then we're dealing with energy and koshas and all this other stuff. And I kind of had to go to the point where I'd sort of gone so far that no one would really comprehend what I was saying. And I might sound like a full-blown hippie, but to then bring it back and then put it into a practical space. Um, and the line there is very close, you know, but um, it's just a matter of being able to articulate what that actually is. So I think that's, I think that's been a really cool journey and it's something that um, is far more rewarding for me to share than going and riding a big wave and um, banging my chest about it. <laughs> yeah, but it sounds like you've used yourself as the test case. You've explored fear and your response to fear through your surfing, and then you've been able to then share that learning through the, the courses, the Ocean Warrior and the other uh, kind of educational activities that you're now doing. A hundred percent. And I've been back there again and again. So once um, you know, I overcame the, the water element. Um, a new project I, I'm working on right now became um, a project where we had to parachute out of airplanes into an ocean swell. And then, you know, I'd spent my life trying to become comfortable in the water. And then all of a sudden I'm thrown into a new environment where I'm like, shit, I'm not good in this space, you know, and um, back through that same process. But then I started to learn. I was like, oh, this is the same. This is the same thing that's happening. This is the same process that's happening. And that's when it really became interesting because I was like, I, I've dealt with that. I actually know how that works. And then I applied the same sort of techniques and I could see that it was the same process, that how we function, how we take on an emotion and how that physically affects the breakdown of how our body will function. So that was really important because I was like, I can actually change that. Like people often talk about, oh, you know, positive thinking and this and that. This is a step back beyond that. That's actually changing the physical body versus even what you're thinking. By changing the physical body, you can almost enhance what you're going to think by doing that. So that was a really interesting process and that's where um, I've been really helpful for uh, elite athletes, um, business professionals because they know this themselves and they're often in this, this state where basically they're shutting down a certain section of their brain and allowing themselves just to do what they do best. 
um, but it was just reminding them of what actually is going on and explaining it to them in a way that seems quite rational. So um, that's probably what's going on, I suppose. So what I'd like to do is for our listeners is help them to understand the fear associated with big wave surfing. Now, I'm a very average surfer, I've, I, but I have experienced getting the, uh, the shit kicked out of me. I've had my ass handed to me in various parts of Indonesia and cloud break in Fiji. And I know a little bit about what it feels like to get dragged over a reef and, and feel totally out of your depth. But that is, what's it like when those waves are scaled up, when we're talking 60, 70 plus foot waves breaking in front of you what what and, and you're being held down for for many minutes what does what does that feel like mark the the brutality of it is so intense to the point where sometimes you literally feel like um can my arm be strained any further like i've seen my heels like here somewhere and i'm like i don't think i could ever do that in any yoga pose ever in my life like but the the ocean can throw you in that position so quickly and to the point where I'm like is my back gonna break you know and um you know like things like you just feel like your whole face is gonna get ripped off it's the intensity of something like that is so so intense um but once you start to understand the process of it 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 I don't say I wouldn't say ever get to the point where um it feels like nothing but you get to the point where you understand what's coming and you can um you can deal with it easier yeah get does it get easier um but yeah each each time the truth is it gets easier from understanding the process and understanding the the training by doing the training and being prepared any situation of high stress becomes easier because what you're really doing is minimizing stress and in a situation that was once overwhelming, if you've minimized the stress and prepared for this, 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 and this, the A, B, C's, and D's, all these possible scenarios, your heart rate's not going to be increased. So that's what goes back to that same process. So like if we can keep the shell, the body, whatever we want to call it, if we can keep that process calm, you can go through anything. And that's the whole process of fear because the only difference between, say, you and I in a situation of, um, you know, a traumatic experience is your knowledge. You'll see something that I don't know and I'll go, holy shit, oh, what's that? what will we do here? Where you'd know and you'd be calm. So but what, what is the difference between us right there in that moment is your physiology, your breathing, your ability to just re- remain calm and know what to do the next step. Whereas if I went into a state where all of a sudden I was out of that state, um, you know, I'm irrational, I'm, I'm reacting versus responding. So that's the process. A really quick flick can happen there and send someone off the edge. But that's a really quick flip can go back and pull them back. So it's, it's just about um, understanding that process and uh, essentially learning to do what feels right versus so if you can go above thinking um, because it sound, that sounds really odd and it sounds a bit um, out there, but the process is really teaching yourself how to feel because that's a quicker response than thinking because you're using the lower consciousness you know, the lower part, lower memory versus the, you know, the other section of your brain, which you can respond to how something feels. That's a faster process. That's that's almost ahead of time. Yeah. Wow. And um, Mark, so a big part of what you teach your ocean warriors is about breath holding. How long can you hold your breath for? Um, 6.04, six minutes, four seconds. Um, wow. And how, how on earth do you, uh, do you get it that long? 
Well, in the breath hold world, that's actually not that long. There's a lot of guys that you know are all in the nine, ten, whatever, and some people go to as far as breathing in pure oxygen and can hold their breath forever um, for really, really long times. But what I've learned personally is uh, the big, long breath holds for me personally in an ocean situation are only good for my ego. <laughs> They're only good for talking shit at the pub <laughs> because. <laughs> The reason behind that is that environment is never still. That environment is not exactly like the environment that you can hold your breath for six minutes and four seconds in. So the training I do now is never about the big breath holds. Um, so no more pub talking for me. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, so the, but the how, how you teach people to do it is a process. You, you go through a process and, um, and it's lim- um, removing barriers, removing barriers of unknown. Once again, you keep going back to that space of you get to a point and it's over two minutes. Oh, what's happening? This is happening to my body. So then the, the, the mind then says, oh, we're dying. So then fear comes in. Everything starts to panic. The body then responds. Whereas when you understand that the second time, you're like, no, you're not dying. You're having a blood shift or a contraction, which is blood moving from your legs, coming up to your heart to keep you alive. Yeah, okay, you can remain calm through the first lot of contractions. Um, So the process keeps going until you understand and become calm with what is actually physically happening to your body to allow you. Sounds a little bit like childbirth. Yeah, well, I can't speak for my wife. Um, I'm definitely (laughs) sitting on the sideline there. Um, But yeah. I suppose the second time round, definitely they always often say it's not as not as full on for them because the first time there's so many unknowns. So what you're saying is with training and conscious effort, you can overcome some of that emotion and panic that, that starts to well up when you're in uh, extraordinarily stressful situations. Correct. Absolutely. And you can you can put your, you can go through a process even if you're going into uncharted territory. Even if you're going into an area of unknowns, you can actually minimize that that process before you actually get there. Like, okay, well, what am I afraid of? What am I afraid that might happen? Okay, let's look at that. So it's really about being okay with looking in the dark corners. And then when you've looked at every dark corner, and I take it to the extreme when I'm planning these projects, you know, I'm not dancing around the, the possible facts. Um, so, and when I look at those and I'm really clear of what those are, then it becomes, you know, quite clear on how that process would work. And what that does is causes a sense of calmness because you're aware of what's going on and all the possible things that could or could not happen. And then you prepare for the absolute best. And um, and by doing that, there's a sense of calmness that comes over you because you're, you're not just – it's not like often people think, um, say, in the sport of big wave surfing that – People are madmen. They just jump off these crazy waves, and some of the guys do. You know, they are they are mad. And me personally, I would consider myself nowhere near as courageous as some of the big wave surfers because I'm quite calculated in my process. Um, I don't look at it when I take off on a huge wave. I'm not looking at it like, well, it's a fifty fifty chance that I make it. I'm like, it's a ninety five percent chance that I make it because I feel like I've done and prepared for everything and if it doesn't i'm not afraid of the consequences because i'm that's and that's how you put yourself in that situation to set yourself up to to win at whatever you do um because you don't leave things to chance and presumably you know that if you wipe out if you get swallowed by one of these monsters you've done the training you've done the preparation you're in a position where you can you can deal with that 
Correct. And without the safety mechanisms that we have. So you, now we have inflatable vests where you pull a thing on your chest and your whole your whole vest floats up. And, um, you know, the training I would do is I would drop get dropped off on the back of a jet ski in front of a set on purpose to be ready for what's happening with all these safety devices on. Understand it and then take them off. Get used to dealing it with it without it. Um, so then when I was in those situations, it was just like, I've been through this again and again in so many different ways. Um, and it seems over the top, but it's, for me, it's what makes me be able to do what I do. Yeah. Is it, so lots of your training is exposing yourself to that stimulus, being in really risky situations that will induce that, that fear response. But how, how do you suggest people can become more courageous when they're not able to be out there in the ocean riding big waves when they're perhaps just at home re- reflecting on on things is what kind of techniques could could people use then vulnerability is the biggest one um, and when you even said you know putting myself in risky situations I'm like no nah, I haven't done that because <laughs> it sounds crazy but I'm like no nah, no nah, I've never been in those because I've always put myself in the situation that at the time was a measured one. Um, but to answer your question, people in other spaces, um, the biggest way to kind of start to shed the layers, I call it armour, right? We all have these these layers of armour. And really what it is is our, our, our ego or our overthinking mind to protect ourselves from being humiliated, to protect ourselves from being um, exposed to something that, someone might think that we are or aren't but the truth is we are just who we are um so the fact of that is is when you are okay with being you and you shed your armors your armor or all these layers of um protection that we put up you become vulnerable but by doing that um you also start to accept yourself you also start to be okay with being you and you also start to except that um, you can see things from a rational point of view, then you can actually measure what's going on because a lot of the time we, we put up these fronts of, oh, yeah, yeah, everything's fine, everything's fine, uh, and we do it to protect ourselves because we don't want to seem weak or we don't want to seem like all these different things. And um, I think, you know, in the greatest teams or um, groups, organisations that I've worked with, the one of the key abilities for um, success is for an internal group to be vulnerable amongst each other um, and to look at things from real perspectives and then to grow and support each other with the same vision in hand. I think that's kind of the process. And as an individual, we all have our own teams, whether it just be our spouse or, you know, it could be just one person that we really trust. So um, that's probably the process that, that I'd look at it in. And um, when we get real with ourselves, um, you know, that, that's when we can finally relax, you know, because so often we're taught that we have to be a certain way or do a certain thing and that's all bullshit, really. You've got to just be you. And if you can't be you, well, who can you be? Because <laughs> a lot of the teams you've worked with, Mark, I mean, these are big, tough guys, right? These are you know, football players, you know, Navy SEALs. There's there's no uh, shortage of egos in, in teams like that, I, I would imagine. Uh, how do you... How do you encourage those individuals to check their egos at the door, to expose their own vulnerabilities to the rest of the team, as, as you've just described? Well, what I find too is the more professional the group, the the higher the tier that I'm working with, um, the more okay they are to accept that. 
um, even though you would think they'd be heavily ego-driven. It's normally the ones that aren't quite there that have the biggest egos because they're trying to prove something that they're actually not. And, um, and that's the biggest thing that holds us back from learning. That's the biggest thing that stops us from progressing. Um, and if I used it in a very simple example, if someone was trying to learn um, to surf and they were embarrassed about how they might look, it slows their learning process down. Whereas a kid, a young person would paddle out and they don't care if they fall off, if they lose their pants or if they look silly, they're just having fun and they learn really, really quick. And the, the thing is, ability-wise, an older person actually has the ability to learn faster. They're more, they've got more strength, they're stronger, their, their agility might be better, whatever that is. Um, you know, and so that's the thing is that's what actually stops us um from from growing and learning i don't know if i actually answered your question then <laughs> do you, i mean so your own motivation for continuing to put yourself in dangerous situations uh do you feel that that you have an ego that you have something to prove to to the rest of the surfing community or indeed to, to yourself still or have, have you been able to fully compartmentalize that in in yeah, I think I did. I think I definitely had a big ego and I was really worried about what people think, thought and wanted to try and prove that I was this or that, that I was that. And then I got over that. Um, then I could see it for what it was um, and yeah. I could just really realise that, well, none of that really matters. And I started to um, tap into who I was as a person and then I was able to really work on what felt right. And so I go back to that process of learning to do what feels right, which is the same kind of thing which is kind of a, a form of emotional intelligence because you're a step ahead of thinking um yeah. and then i was quickly able to kind of realize that um yeah none of that sort of stuff really matters and i'll still do um challenges but the purpose and the the um, intention of why i do it is very different uh, it might be um, something that could seem egotistical but my reasoning would be to to show and to share with people um the ability that that we all have versus prior to it was, oh, yeah, just to prove that I'm the greatest or whatever whatever um, the ego version of myself wanted, um, whereas I don't feel like I uh, deal with that anymore. Um, but who knows, if I do, and I'll, I'll pull myself up for sure or um, hopefully people close to me will too. <laughs> so, Mark, a lot of the um, big wave spots on this earth are close to shore. They're breaking over reefs um, uh, along the coastline, but... You've been looking for ways out in the open ocean. Tell me about that. Well, yeah, it was after the um, the Night Rider project. The biggest thing from that was it it allowed me to take the cap off where my limiting thoughts were. It made me realise, look, I wanted to do this project. And at the time, everyone said there's no way that could be done. And the best of the best said that. You know, and now if I said to someone, oh, yeah, could you say that? Everyone said, oh, yeah, yeah, we could all go surf you know, this spot at night and it'd be fun. Whereas at the time, no one was saying that. And they were all saying, especially like, you know, myself and the background that I came from was like, there's no way that that can be achieved. And that was like kind of considered a suicide mission. So from doing that, um, it really changed my perspective of what w was possible. So then I started searching, thinking, well, if the biggest wave ridden um, at this current time was about 80 foot, you know, why and where Where would there possibly be something bigger? Um, and then I really just started to try and um, figure out that that equation of what was going on and why. And I started working with um, some of the military guys, um, some underwater 
um, experts that understood a lot of information about things that I had no clue about. I uh, got access to some satellite data from 25 years back from this point and then started referencing all sorts of things. And on days that known surf spots were really good, I was flying reconnaissance planes out in the middle of nowhere checking these um, supposed spots. And, um, you know, and a lot of my friends at the time were like, you know, what have you done? Are you quit? Like, why, why aren't you surfing? Why aren't you at this swell or that? And I wasn't really saying anything. I was just, <laughs> I was just off <laughs> doing my kind of thing. And it's all on the download. Yeah, it was. Well, it's because it's funny. It's in sports sometimes. Um, everyone tends to just copy up. You know, or like if someone has a good idea, oh, cool, we'll just do that too instead of their own kind of thing. So um, I was, I kind of learned from the first time around that yeah, I'll just. Do, do my own thing and um, focus on that. But what happened was I did find um, a few spots that were 100 foot, so bigger than um, the bigger waves that had broken on the shores or the coastlines that are close to home. But these particular waves were out in the middle of nowhere and um, the only way really to get to them was to, uh, as I mentioned earlier, was to fly, say, like a C-130 or some type of um, military aircraft in and then parachute out because... Um, if you were driving a boat out there, which is the, the logical um, sort of response to it, is the forecast changes. And they're so far out, you could be driving the boat, which takes four days to get there. Two days in, the forecast could change, and then you're constantly driving out and coming back. So whereas the, the plane can get there in 14 hours, um, so it's just one when it's 100% on, you go, um, the whole team goes out, and a few, few jet skis go with it. And then um, we deploy a life raft and we wait for that rescue boat to come and get us afterwards. Mm -hmm. Wow. And what did what does it feel like to, you're, you're in that C-130, you're about to jump out the bottom, uh, you, you've deployed the jet ski and you're about to go next and you're about to launch yourself into that, into that ocean. What, what does that feel like? Terrifying. So scary. The first few training drills, I was so scared that I, rec I don't rec I could even feel my legs. Like I was just like I could barely feel my feet underneath me, but um, yeah, it was just, just jumping into into nothing, just just blue ocean. Yeah, and we we exit from about five thousand feet, which is not too low. Um, in skydiving terms, it's like a, what they call a hop and pop. So you jump out, and you've got about ten seconds to get stable, and then um, pull your line, pull your chute. Um, so you've got a bit of time if something goes wrong, but. Uh, yeah, it's just one of those things where you've got, a, like you said, a 360-degree view of ocean. There's no land reference. There's nothing below you, and you've never felt more in, insignificant in your life ever than that that moment. So um, we've done the, the actual training for it, and the, the main um, event is sort of something that's in the process right now. Yeah, and in surfing folklore, there's this big thing about the 100-foot the, the, the wave. Has it ever been surfed? Has anyone surfed a 100-foot wave? Well, a lot of people have sort of said that it was close or this one could be, but officially not yet. The biggest one, I think, is 86-foot at Nazare in Portugal. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, it's um, that would be egotistical of me to say that, oh, yeah, I'm only doing it for that. Um, for me, this... <laughs> This particular project is really about um, exploration um, and seeing if we can go above and beyond what we rationally normally can do. Um, that's what really excites me. Um, I know there are waves there that have broken at that, that sort of height at the particular location that I've found and uh, it would be awesome to be able to experience what that is like to ride one that big. Um, 
but who knows? Who knows if it's if it's possible? Well, um, only time will tell. <laughs> yeah, I suppose that's a huge transition from competing as a um, uh, on the the QS the, the the World Qualifying Series when you were uh, in your younger days um, to transitioning to 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 this world now, where it's it's not about maximizing your wave count it's not not about the the, the glory and, and rising up the rankings it's a it's a completely different ball game totally yeah totally and and to be honest i get the most enjoyment out of helping people that's something that um for me has been the most rewarding thing ever um with the courses that we do and the programs that we do um like yeah it's great working on awesome like um missions like this one um the deep yeah. blue project that we're talking about but it is so satisfying seeing someone um, go through the process of what we teach and having them come out changed, you know, and seeing that that happen and, and uh, that is so rewarding, you know. Yeah, I bet, I bet. And um, so you're a dad. Uh, how old are your kids? Uh, so one and three, two girls. Great, great. Has that changed how you feel about undergoing really high risk activities, about doing the work that you do? Um, it hasn't because um, I really feel that it's important that my girls grow up um, doing what they want to do, doing what they love. Um, if it was extremely risky and it was something that like, you know, there's a it's, a it's a roll of the dice kind of scenario, I think that would be quite reckless as a father. But um, for me, um, doing something that is in, within my grasp um, I think it's a good example to say, girls, go and live your life and, and, and do everything that you want to do. Because if I was to say, oh, no, I won't do that now, then I'm living in fear. You know, then I'm, I'm not living my truth. Uh, and then, I, you know, I'm expecting them to live their life wrapped in bubble wrap. Oh, what if this happens? And it's like, no, nah, it's not what it's about. So um, I feel it's a good example as a father to set the one that, that you want for them and to, for them to have their ultimate life is what I'd want for them to be able to do everything they want to do um, within reason too, you know, to be able to look at it and weigh things up. Um, I think that would be awesome because I feel that it's the most important thing for every single one of us. We all as individuals stop things out of fear and that's the only reason we, we don't do everything that we want to do. And, um, yeah, I think if we can... Um, live our life in that way it's going to be a much happier life yeah so we have to we have to embrace that fear we have to expose ourselves to it to to grow as people to be the best version of ourselves that we can be 100 percent. yep and that comes back straight away just to being vulnerable just to be able to say oh shit i am scared you know because in my space it, it was never even said in interviews like oh you're a big wave guy and then the common response was, oh, you know, it was just all ego. Yeah, so, yeah. Whereas I'm just like, nah, I'm scared. Yeah, totally scared. <laughs> like, <it's... laughs> I'm okay with that. Yeah, but that's right. But then I, but, but I was able to grow and learn faster because I wasn't afraid of, you know, and out of my fear, I developed some of the best underwater training things there are. Like I learned techniques that um, save my life and many people's other lives. And it had I been closed off to that. Um, it wouldn't be in this situation. So it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, that's amazing. That is amazing. I suppose from a health worker point of view, one thing that I've really taken from, from our conversation is this idea of having a moment of reflection where you think about what your fears actually are 
And it sounds like you 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 unpack those individually and you analyze them and then you try and think, well, actually, how likely is that scenario? And um, and that, that really helps you to gain a bit more perspective. And I think I've been over the last month or so, I've been doing that with this this COVID pandemic. I think a lot of my own fears around what was happening with what what's the risk that my family are going to catch this, that uh that the, the work is really going to struggle with with the staffing that we're going to run out of personal protective equipment that you know the whole of society is going to crumble you know and, and it just kind of goes out from there and i think the more i've been able to just th- think about those and compartmentalize them and and, and actually realize that the probability of any of those individual things is actually quite low that i i think i've been able to reach a place of acceptance uh which has only only happened really in the last week week i think yeah wow and that's cool and what you really sort of explain there too is the same sort of thing i was mentioning is you just minimize the the you know you you sort of talked about a situation and then when you assess it and look at it from every angle all you did is minimize the stress the anxiety the fear within yourself and that allowed you to kind of go through that process and i think um that's something that would really help everyone to be able to understand that to be able to kind of go through that process and look at things from every angle and you know look in the dark corners and be aware of everything but then because at the end of it all like you know you can live in a massive mansion and if everyone in your family is miserable and unhappy there's no point being there you know there really isn't you'd rather be and it sounds people think that that's crazy statement i'd rather be in a tent if i knew that my wife and my girls were so stoked instead of being somewhere where it seemed like the cool place to be because all we really want is to be able to be at peace with ourselves you know and so if we can find that and how we do that is minimize stress minimize fear and how we do that is break those situations down look at it for what it really is and if there's situations that come up that we're like well that's a that's something that i can't I'm not prepared to risk. Well, then that's okay. But you understand where you're at, and you've you've minimised that that anxiety or that that build up of tension within yourself. And then by doing that, you've gone back to what feels right. And uh... yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, are there any um, any practices that the healthcare workers on the front line could be doing at home? Uh, anything else that you recommend that they could do on a regular basis to to cultivate more courage when they're kind of going into these very very intense shifts where they're seeing high volumes of of very sick people? Well, I think firstly, um, I'm so respectful of the people in this space that I wouldn't like to proclaim that I know something that they probably already don't. Um, so I just wanted to say that um, the thing that I find for me personally that helps the most in situations of high stress is just checking in with how I'm breathing and what my posture is. So changing my the physiology of my body will change how I feel and being aware of what how I'm actually breathing in these situations of whatever it is that's coming. Um, and I'd presume most of the people in that space would understand that, but whether that's just a reminder of, oh, yeah, geez, I, I didn't pay attention to whether I was hunched over or whether I was sitting upright, allowing you know my, my organs to... To, to let oxygen pass through them freely and um, I'd go to nose breathing. It's, um, it's something I always do to, you know, minimise my brainwave activity, lower my heart rate, you know, really calm everything down. So simply, you know, if they're driving to a job, if they're driving to a situation, allow yourself, might be two, three, um, five minutes of just breathing through the nose. It will drop 
down those brainwave acti- that that noise it'll drop down that heart rate which then activates the cognitive thinking part of your brain which allows you to see things really clear and calm so just minimizing the noise um, which I feel a lot of these um, individuals would know uh, and that, that really helps so much because um, it just allows you to be in the now in that moment like right here right now and uh, and when you can do that that's when you can operate at your best you know that's the the state of um, shutting down the noise so to speak and and just getting in their flow state where they can do their absolute best so you're talking there about the power of just simple breathing techniques are there any specific breathing patterns that that you you would recommend yep so just making sure um that you're breathing out longer than in so if i was going in through my nose it would simply be let's say i did it on a four count like if i was going and i can go back out through my mouth or my nose it doesn't matter but that i was breathing out for say six seconds so if i was going in for four i'm going out for six because by doing that i'm releasing more carbon dioxide than um, and I'm, you know, going to oxygenate my body in a higher way. Um, so I'd be doing that on purpose uh, because that actually makes me start to feel good. Um, the other, the other key thing is um, if if things are bad and it's a tricky situation, um, this is what I actually do, uh, and I don't mean to sound in any way like um, I'm being disrespectful, but by physically forcing yourself to smile, um, whether it be making like, you know, might be with a colleague saying something that will, will crack a smile, you're going to release endorphins, dopamine, serotonin to your brain. It's a natural way to actually make yourself feel good, which blocks out pain, which blocks out the other the other feelings and allows you to be in that state. Um, so they're quick things that I'll do. Like if a huge wave is about to smash me and, and I'm looking up and I can see someone beside me that's really scared on purpose, I'll say things like, holy shit, you know, like I'll joke and, and make something make fun of it and I'll see them smirk. But by doing that, all I really did is took them out of their holy shit um, reacting, you know, <laughs> state versus allowing them because it's happened before and I have multiple examples of situations like that. Um, but but that's, that's another key little thing there. So um, whether you feel like smiling or not and you're in a shit situation, I'd be smiling and I'd be breathing through my nose and I'd be doing it for five minutes. Uh, because it changes how I feel and I keep saying that all the time but how I feel is everything because then that's changes how everything looks and comes my way and there's an amazing study where they got um, participants to hold a pencil between their teeth so they were holding a smiling position they compared some of their brain chemicals to uh, participants that were uh, actually smiling and they found that they released this the same chemicals so just the the activating those muscles in your face even if you're not genuinely smiling from your face is is, is as powerful 100 percent. that's exactly right and that's why i recommend that and that's why i'll i'll you know the people that that do my program where we're onto them um with their physiology and it some of them will say to me oh, I'm, I'm freaking out about this and i'll say cool freak out about it i don't give a shit change your body posture and do this and they like look at me like what and i'll change the physiology of how their body's structured and then they realize i'm like oh, he's effing with my head you know and then it's like all i did is change your body posture which allowed you to feel a certain way and that's exactly right by doing that it changes the chemical response that comes to our brain so um yeah like you know i can honestly say i've never been stoned in my life i don't go <laughs> near drugs and uh I think you know if you can if you can stick to these kind of principles, it, you're you're high on life. 
So Mark, Mike Tyson famously said, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. Let's say as medics, we've done all that, that prep. We're, we're going into that, to that shift and we're feeling ready. But then much like getting towed in at Jaws and then wiping out, we, we get our asses handed, handed to us and, and it all, all the shit hits the fan and uh, we've, we're freaking out and it's all getting a bit much and um, we need to take a bit of a time out. What would you suggest we could do in that uh, in that situation where the plan has failed and uh, and everything seems very overwhelming and, and we're in the moment we're in you know at, at, at war. Yeah, I, I would I would pull it back to that to that initial response. What I'd be doing um, prior to a situation like that because you have to ask yourself how would you want your body to function in the most um, you know optimum level? Like how would you function if you were ready to do something? the best you could do. And if I said, write it down, what's it look like? How would you breathe? What would your breathing rate look like be? Um, you know, what would your posture be like? How, how would you feel? So if you knew what that was, then you're smart enough to know that right now, everything's turned to shit. Everything's totally, you're in chaos. If you stay there, you're gonna, that's going to continue. So you have a choice then. You have a choice on how you feel. You don't have a choice on the situation. You can't control outcomes. That's trying to predict the future. But you can control right now. And right now, in this situation of total shit, whatever it is, you can control how you feel. And how you do that is go back to the state, putting yourself in the state that you want to be in by changing your breath, by allowing yourself to breathe properly, by going through your nose, you access all five lobes in your lungs. You know, so by giving yourself that, you're going to allow that brain activity to slow down, which is going to allow you to think better. So if you knew that information in the situation that counts, why wouldn't you give yourself that? So straight away you can do something. And if it still turns out to be shit, you're giving yourself every chance you can to be the best you can and do the absolute best you can. And that's all any individual can ever ask of themselves. So I think that's one of the key things is, is um, you know, and afterwards I've been in many situations that have failed and situations where I've tried to achieve something that was so unachievable and I just remember thinking oh it's failed again and again but I'd always go back to the drawing board and go was there something else that could be done was there something I could have learned from this and I've I've never had a situation where there wasn't and I'm okay if there is if I get there and I go well no there's not this this isn't this isn't going to progress that's okay because then I know I've done everything I can but nine times out of ten, there's always something that can be changed. There's always something that can be shifted. There's always something that can help you move, function, do whatever in a better way. And if you did that, the outcome can change. We can't predict the outcomes, but we can control what's happening now. So my advice is to, to be aware of that and put yourself in the best position to be present in that moment and, and know what that actually is and what you actually want. So you're... You're bold in action, but humble in reflection. <laughs> I don't even know what I am. <laughs> I think, I don't know. I, I honestly um, I've never really looked at it. I just know that um, you've got to give it a crack and you've got to be okay with just being the, the best you can be. And if that doesn't stack up, well, you can only do your best again. And that's, and that's all you can ever ask yourself. And when you really say that and you, you feel what that feels like, um, it's really quite humbling. Yeah. Wow. Wow. And I, that, that's, that, that's really fascinating, Mark. I mean, thank you so much for your time today, chatting to us and giving us some really unique insights. Um, 
is there any message that you'd like to give out to all the frontline workers, the key workers, health workers, everyone that's out there at the moment um, helping with this pandemic? Is there anything you'd like to say to them? Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much for everything that you do, for every single person. Um, yeah, my whole body just lights up with goosebumps um, when I even say that. And I'm just so grateful for everything that everyone does in that space. And and thank you so much. And you guys are – and women, everyone, you should be so proud of yourself. And just thank you. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. If people want to reach out, connect with you, Mark, how can they do that? Um, so we we have an online course, um, which is called theoceanwarrior.com. Uh, um, I don't, you know, I'm not really here to sell anything, <laughs> but you can buy those things. But uh, yeah, um, I think, yeah, that's probably the, the way that, we, you know, if you wanted to progress those kind of things, you can look at that sort of stuff. Um, I have a Facebook page. I'm a bit of a shocker with that kind of thing. Um, but <laughs> um, yeah, I, yeah, I don't, I don't, that's, I'm just contactable by the normal ways, I suppose. But, um, but yeah, I think... Um, the main thing is just uh, don't really worry about any individual. Just do what you want to do, and hopefully that helps everyone. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Do what you want to do. Yeah, do it. For, do it for you. Hundred percent. Mm. Yeah, I, I really, uh, yeah, I really buy into that. I think that's that's really awesome. Yeah, thanks so much for your time today, Mark. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Legend. Thanks, mate.